Hey folks, and welcome to the Deconstructor of Fun podcast. Your host today, Mishka Katkoff, and today we are going to talk about a lean, mean marketing machine built by Gonzalo Fasanella, CMO of Tactile Games. So the topics we're going to cover today is how Lily's Garden has been able to sustain the incredible quarter-over-quarter growth for soon two years. We're going to talk about how to build and run an effective and lean marketing team in games. We're going to talk about what's the best way for the game and marketing team to work together. And finally, we are going to discuss what should CMOs or head of performance marketing, you know, the person who tends to extremely be data-driven, what do these people, this, these, these leaders should learn from the advertising industry. Overall, a very, very interesting podcast. Uh, people, I don't know if people are sleeping on Lily's Garden, but this is the growth of the game has been phenomenal. And this discussion really opens up how, how people at Tactile are approaching things differently and how are they so incredibly effective at execution. So hope you guys enjoy the podcast. Hope you learn a lot from the podcast. And as always, Deconstructor of Fun Slack channel is where the conversation about these things continue. So apply, get yourself in there. <laughs> Let's start talking. Let's start discussing. And um, yeah, without further ado, our amazing sponsors and our discussion with Gonzalo. This episode is brought to you by Facebook Gaming. Facebook Gaming is building the world's gaming community by helping game makers, developers, and publishers to build, grow, and monetize their games. They do this by providing research-based insights, in-depth case studies, as well as a wide variety of educational materials. A recent example of this is the Games Marketing Insights for 2021 report that has just been released and is available to download free right now. Of course, Facebook Gaming also helps developers and publishers of all sizes to deploy powerful user acquisition and monetization strategies through a suite of innovative solutions designed for games marketers in every corner of the industry. Go to fb.gg forward slash marketers for in-depth educational materials, including playbooks, webinars, blogs, and reports, as well as great video content. All right, welcome, Gonzalo. You were just talking about how you started your uh, your career in marketing uh, by seeding fear in the good no, people no. of Argentina <laughs> by working in the in the security. Am I correct? You're not incorrect, but you're not correct either. Originally, I started working at a bookshop. I had to organize um, things for uh, for releasing books and things like that. So I was actually in charge of the launch of Harry Potter. Now I remember of the last book of Harry Potter in Argentina. So I did all that event and I was that was my first interaction with advertising and marketing. I had to, I was an assistant there. And then I bounced around, around over in other companies because I was probably at the time seeking for more money. <laughs> Big mistake. Um, and I ended up in an alarm system uh, company that I'm not going to say the name is an international company about security. Uh, and then one night I was in a hotel and uh, I just could not sleep because, as you said, you know, you had to sell somehow fear to people. Um, 
and I was in those meetings where they were trying to sell stuff so I could get, you know, the learnings of how do you sell an alarm system, things like that. Uh, I could not sleep. I called my, my, my girlfriend back then saying, like, I cannot do that any, this anymore. And I just left the meeting, the, the company at that very moment and said to myself, I have to come back, back to entertainment because it seems that um, I, have, I have a sense of guilt. So I cannot sell anything. I thought I didn't, but I did. So well, I think I think that was a really good move. Since then, you worked at GameLoft as head of performance marketing for almost six years. Then you yeah. were in a startup in Barcelona working yeah. for Omnidrone. Um, yeah. Shout out to Gerald. And then now you are the CMO of Tactile Games. And, and if people are sleeping on Tactile Games, they're for sure not sleeping on Lily's Garden. Uh, one of the uh, one of the biggest sort of puzzle and decorate games. I think the only ones ahead of you are Playrix's three title, uh, Gardenscapes, Homescapes, Fishdom, but not yep. the uh, the Zoosscape. And then one title ahead of you is Applovin's no uh, Firecraft Studios. Not sure uh, he's there ahead of us. Should... We should check the charts, but Maybe somewhere. Somewhere evenly, evenly is the Matchington Mansion. It's really matching with, with Lily's Garden. So this is, this is pretty insane because you've been able to not only sustain, um, but actually just outperform quarter over quarter growth pretty much ever since Lily's Garden has been launched. And when we're talking about your competitors, Playrix and Applovin, like those are the two, like Playrix is ahead of you and Applovin is pretty much on the same level. Yeah. That's pretty insane for a Danish studio with, let's be clear, no previous puzzle hits. Like there, there were a lot of puzzle games that Tactile was doing, but they weren't big, not, not to the, the, the scale. And, and you're competing when, when the game launched, you're competing in pretty much red, red hot oceans. Like we mentioned, yeah. the fish jumps and the homescapes, the Matchington mansions, there's steel fronts, home design makeover, the Property yeah. Brothers. So what really sets Lily's Garden apart from the competition? And you've passed a lot of competition, like the Jam Cities games, the Scopely's games, you've passed all of those. So the story is like this. Uh, so the company has been around for quite a while. I mean, uh, Aspion is the is CEO of this company and we have had very good games. Um, even before Lily's Garden, uh, maybe not hit as you say, or not as, as big as Lily's, right? <clears throat> but we had the Cookie Cats games, we had Brilliant games, and we had also uh, the Simon's Cut games. Simon's Cut actually was quite a, a big uh, game back then. Uh, so the part of the story that I know, I joined the company in 2018. And when I joined, uh, the, the team was, the leadership team was having the first discussions around the product and how to move forward in, in this not so crowded uh, general back then, but, uh, but it, it was evolving. We could see that it was evolving, right? That you had peak uh, that was already evolving. And then you had also Playrix, of course, that, that took this big metagame coming from other generals and, and included into, um, into the puzzle category and started to, you know, take a little market share from, from King. So we were very aware, I mean, the company and leadership was very aware of all this. And there was this question about whether we needed to pivot uh, the meta game of, of, of our games to enhance retention and engagement, right? 
because we we were we 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 saw that it was evolving, right? But we didn't really know where to go. You had a two reference back then. You could go to Peak, or you could go to a Playrix in terms of a meta game, right? So, so you kind of took both. You took the Peak's core game and the uh, the Playrix meta game. Yeah. I, in regards to the core game, it was purely because Aspion wanted to do a blast mechanic. We have had a lot of chats about that, and we thought that you know it was even the match three is, is the most popular one. I always have this thing about thinking that a match two is more accessible than a match three, um, and that's kind kind of simplistic maybe, but. Uh, but we really liked that mechanic. So it wasn't so much about, to be honest with you, thinking about what Peak was doing when we decided to do the blast mechanic. It's just that we wanted that mechanic because we have a lot of the others. Mm -hmm. The other games we had, we had line connectors, we had match three, <clears throat> we had bubble shooters as well. So I think we wanted to do this blast mechanic. Um, oh. But we, the, the discussion was a center about the meta game and we made a, the only discussion was that it was very different. If you wanted to do with the, if you wanted to evolve through something as Peak was doing, that had elements of gacha and uh, more basic, I mean, easy, easier to produce. Uh, you could go that way. It was uh, production wise, it was more, uh, uh, it was cheaper to go that way. But then you had the other one. At the time, we separated in, in gacha based saga uh, games and uh, city builders it's not actually a city builder itself but it has element of city building even though everything is static right you cannot move the buildings around we were not talking so much about story driven we were talking a bit about story driven but we always thought that the games in the market were not exploding that part of the meta game the story driven it was all the time serving live ops that's what we felt about those games is that the story is only serving the life, the live ops. Like you always have a character coming because if there's an event happening and that character just is promoting the event. It's not that it has a story arc, character development, or anything like that, right? Yeah, so sure. we made a market analysis and we saw that it was pretty obvious that these games, the ones that had this 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 city building, story driven element. Uh, early story uh, driven element, we saw that the potential of those games was much bigger. I mean, this was just looking at data. Of course, we had the, 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 the challenge of, of, of producing such game, which is much different than, than doing a saga game. But the thing is that we also had the advantage of being in Copenhagen when, when you know, style, artists, architecture, uh, sense of style in general in Nordic countries is very prominent and there's a lot of talent ar around that. So even though we didn't have the talent, we had some of the talent in the company. We needed to expand the production team uh, big time. So we wanted to be sure about it. So we made that market analysis. And I think that we convinced ourselves that we had to move forward. And then we started to discuss about what was going to be the, the factor that will differentiate this game from the ones in the, in the, in the industry. And that is when we started to think about this really story driven. We started to think about the game as a mobile game series and not only as a mobile game. So we started to think of, of having episodes uh, being like days, having seasons, uh, and also make a compromise in the production. Uh, like for instance, developing a character that will all, all only stick around for about a week or you know, seven days of production 
sorry, seven days of gameplay because the story needed that 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 uh, that character. So we needed to produce a whole new character just to serve the story, and not to serve you know revenue or engagement or anything like that. And I think that was the element we wanted to to do that because we also wanted to speak to the audience as as you know, grown up women. I mean, majority of the users yeah. of the players are females, right? So we also wanted to stop serving things like more cartoonish and uh, we wanted to have something very relatable. So another thing we chat about was making Lily very relatable. You know, I mean, good and bad things happen to her and it's not only cute, funny and perfect. So yeah. that's more or less how we thought uh, in the very beginning of the pre-production of the game. I think it's really fascinating because a lot of the time when when you're thinking about starting a new game, you kind of think about three things. You think about what you want to make. In your case, it was Tile Blaster. Like that was that was like the uh, the starting point. Then the second part is when you're a, when you're a solid studio, you're thinking about what does the market want, and there you start exploring the market and really understanding the trend lines. And usually the third piece that comes together is like what can you do? What kind of resources do you have? In this type of case you did not have those type of resources. So normally a company would have kind of pulled it back and made the, the sort of a peak style, something that you can run with a smaller team. Uh, yeah. But it's really fascinating to hear that you were so certain about where the market is going that yeah. you decided to fix the problem, not the problem, but just invest into the sheer content yeah. option that a puzzle and decorate game requires to change your capabilities to make that type of game. Yeah, and a big help was that Aspi and the CEO again of the company has experience in AAA productions. Mm. So he didn't hesitate a, a second about this, to be honest. He's kind of bold in his decisions many times. So, so that, uh, to be honest, I mean, it's, it's true what you say, but we was, I mean, I think it was one meeting where, where, where we considered this, right? And I remember talking about it and saying, like, uh, it's going to be, Production-wise, it will be another beast. You know, it was going to be another game. But again, he had a lot of experience in AAA production, in console production, etc. So, so, um, and we already had a very good core artist team. Uh, so, yeah, it, we just went ahead. But it's true that the consideration of that was very brief. That, that's that's awesome to hear because uh, you know, in a different type of setting, because your CEO is also the founder. Uh, it's a it's a different discussion if if you don't have sort of a founder inside who yeah. can make those type of calls who who is sort of um, how yeah, being, being independent yeah has always been really pretty good for us uh, yeah. in so, order to move fast yeah exactly so so one of the things like of course Lily's Garden it's a it's a really cool game I mean I I can't say that I play a ton of these games of course I played all the player eggs I played Lily's I've played Matching to Mansion which I actually probably played the most. But um, which one you play the most, sir? Matchington. <laughs> okay. I don't know. It just it has the uh, the builder guy and the lady. They kind of like <laughs> the story of tactile is too feminine for me. I'm I'm interested in the sort of like a romantic setting with oh with the with the fat neighbor that is doing bad things. Like <laughs> let's move on, me. <laughs> but I'm not the core audience. So um, so so when you think about you know all these games together on the when you, I look at them, when I play them, like there's not a lot of difference in the sense, like the narrative is different, the art style is quite similar. Um, mm -hmm. There's a lot of similar things, but when I look at the marketing side, Lily's Garden really stands apart 
And mm -hmm. this is, of course, you're a CMO, so we're not going to talk about game design. We're mainly going to talk about the growth of this game. And and what I'm interested in hearing from you is, is Tactile is a small company, way smaller than, than its competitors. Mm -hmm. So how do you build and run an effective and lean marketing team in games? Because you have to think about the performance marketing, the creative, the product marketing, the data science, the engineering, all these are key functions in a, in a modern marketing team. So how do you keep this team lean, effective, and most importantly, motivated? Hmm. So, I mean, in general, we go one, one problem at a time, right? But um, the good thing, uh, we, we had a lot of experience buying uh, before Lily's Garden, right? So we had a lot of, uh, we already had engineer, engineers in the marketing team. We also had data scientists in the marketing team before Lily's Garden. So we got that part covered, which is, the essential part when you are running UA performance marketing, right? UA, performance marketing to me is something bigger. But UA, uh, you need to have those things independent from the game team. I mean, out of my experience says that if you are just going to share the, the, the people with, uh, with the game team, then it will be very hard to uh, actually maintain uh, your marketing activities uh, efficient and lean. And effective. Um, so we all, we had that cover. So that was a, a big plus. And when we started to talk, I mean, and I think that is one of when you talk about lean, the whole company is lean, right? The whole notion of the we don't have the notion of departments of the marketing department or anything. We have more no, the notion of teams, right? So we do have the marketing team, uh, but then we want everybody to work with everybody, right? Um, and not only marketing, working with marketing, and but we we want to encourage to just have a lean company, not lean teams, right? So that already also helps a lot. And I think that the fact that the whole product conception it it went through the gate through the marketing quite organically, right? I mean, all the things that we were just chatting about, being relatable, talking to the audience as who they are, grown-up women that are interested in real live events and not just, you know, uh, uh, colorful uh, cartoons and things like that. So it kind of went through the, from the product conception to the marketing, the whole topic about being relatable, right? Um, and, and I think that it was natural. We, we made a lot of focus groups as well in order to understand a little more about the, the audience. I come from an advertising background, as you were saying, I studied advertising and then I got myself into numbers and marketing, right? But I wanted to be able to cover the basics of advertising because also I thought that for once I had a product that that had those elements that we needed, we didn't need to invent anything. I mean, the story was the, the, the story driven part was that we just needed to hit the right angles. So we had all the relatable thing and, uh, and, and trying to do something like that. And then we started to think beyond. When you look at what is out there in the, in the ad space for, for, for games, you always, you tend to see, you know, very uh, uh, straightforward uh, tactics, all the hyper casual trend, it's just putting whatever can be uh, attractive for clicks and things like that. You have all that trend, which is very prominent at the moment. 
um, and it started a, a year ago or something like that. But even before that, you had all, always the same things. You have either cute things, cute ads, uh, or you have funny ads, right? Those are the type of emotions where, that were being explored. And that was it, right? Um, and then, of course, you had gameplay, a lot of gameplay and, mm. and that, right? So we started to think about this, this notion of exploring other type, other type of emotions in the ads that are not, you know, the safe one, cute and funny. So what about sad? What about anger? What about anxiety? What about romance, love, and things like that? More relatable stuff. So we started to explore with those things, right? Um, and then we started to create those storyboards and uh, we started to create those, those ads. I mean, in the beginning, there's a whole history about splitting those teams, right? So we don't have UA running creatives, which tends to be the case mm -hmm. in all the companies. You have UA, which is a profile of a sales guy that has a lot of information, uh, data-driven, in a data-driven industry, talking with a creative guy that just wants to do something creative. And in general, if you put those things together in a meeting, what's going to happen is whatever the UA guy wants. But what the UA guy wants is based strictly on numbers. And Numbers in UA will give you a competitive advantage, but I hardly believe that it will give you an edge in the advertising space. That, that thing that will take you apart, right? I mean, that thing that will separate, better said, from, from the competition, right? So splitting that team, let us explore all those things. I, I, we make sure that creative guys had the complete autonomy to do whatever ads they think they had to do. And we made tools in order to make sure that they are they were exposed to the KPIs they needed to get exposed. Because to be honest, you don't need much to decide what ad to do next. Uh, you just need to make sure that you analyze the ads and what is a successful ad and what is not. But once you know that, I think it's enough for you to know what you have to produce next. Uh, so we don't believe really on all those iterating something 1,000 times until you find something that is good because it, honestly, you were going to make 100 ads and only maybe three will work really well. Mm -hmm. And 80% of your budget will go on maybe 10% of the ads you produced. So what's the point of iterating something 1,000 times? I mean, you're never going to get to that point. And I think that's naturally why that's what happens because you creative guys are, are just serving the UI teams and that's to me was wrong. I mean, you need to make sure that they are working in parallel. They're not working together. They are not working in other directions. They're working in parallel. Um, and the UA team also took it very well and understood that they were not nailing it, you know? So the first thing was separating and the other thing was exploring other emotions, being different. We have a story now that we could explode. And if we were talking about funny, perfect and cute, I mean, what was the point about how, having this whole story? And so they started to explore with advertising, what they call in the team advertising. Uh, uh, yeah. And that started to work really, really well. Uh, and then across, I think it was a fifth ad or no, no, probably not. Probably we made a few more before that. We should bring the creative lead to tell me exactly this. But I think that in the first 10, we did the pregnancy test ad and that thing just exploded. So that's the that's Lily's ad where she's pregnant, but then her 
man dumps her and she's left with the, the big house that needs to be renovated and she's pregnant and single mother type of situation. So what we think of, of the ads in follow-ups because people started to be so curious about the ads that then we always did follow-ups, right? So it's, and the follow-up actually, if you see the second ad and then we made an ad that is all together is that actually Lily faked the pregnancy. Oh, so she wanted to get rid of the guy. He, she actually wanted to get rid of the guy. And, and that gave a second wave of good ads, right? So have this, the, the, the follow-up that sometimes come with, comes with a twist. But also it's, it's this notion as well of, you know, in advertising for a very long time, you had this thing about creating an image, creating a brand, right? That in general is, you know, this persona that is, you know, whatever, I mean, it's like this, this humble but intelligent man and all these brands wants to do something like that because back then they could control the narrative. Mm -hmm. You could control, without social media, you could control the narrative of your brand because the communication was one, 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 one direction. And there's a lot of companies that still try to control that narrative, but that's just impossible. So we think that it's better that we just play with the narrative, you know? as anybody else with the audience. So we do all these ads that do not want to sell something perfect and something, you know, closed, uh, closed idea. We actually want people to interact with all this because at the end of the day, people need to interact with those, with these ads. It's advertising, but interactivity uh, at the same time, you know? So it's not the same, but I always thought that we were not getting a lot of, we were not using a lot of the learnings from the advertising world. Um, but you you can use some of them uh, and be effective. Mm. So there's there's a lot of things that you said, and I kind of picked up a few things. So number one is using focus groups to find a way to be relatable to to the players. Uh, number two is something that you said is exploring emotions. And during the time that you guys were pushing for sad advertising, uh, all your competitors were pushing for shock advertising, like all these ads that they were doing. Uh, were just crazy where where the kitchen was on fire yeah or or that kind of stuff like it's a, it's a very different stuff that, that you guys were doing um then yeah, that, that's just them doing hyper casual stuff because conversion rates are high exactly and then yeah because they they advertise also in hyper casual games and that allows the high ipm i don't know how what the retention is for a player who comes in from hyper casual games to a puzzle game but based on what I've seen in certain games, it's not too, you know, it's not something to parade with. I mean, the monetization of those users is much lower for sure. Yeah, it's yeah. Just that element. I that I know for a fact. Yeah, yeah, me too. Um, and then one thing that he, that you said, which is very interesting, and something that I haven't seen in many companies, is that you you don't let the UA or the performance. Well, every marketing is performance marketing, to be honest, but. Yes, but, yeah, right. but but UA team is not running the creative team. Not and, at all. And they are getting input. They are working together, but it's not iteration. It's more like every time you do a creative, it has to be a hero creative, right? So I I started in Game of ten years ago doing what it was user acquisition back then, which is something completely different from what it is today. Everything was statics, banners. Maybe you had GIFs afterwards, right? So the whole concept of iterating a image makes a lot of sense, right? Because all the elements are just static. But when you want to translate that to a video, 
it becomes much more tricky, right? Because everything is in motion. So what is the element that makes a hero, as you call, add a hero add? Well, you can spend a long time trying to iterate that until you find something. And maybe conceptually, it will just never work. Yeah. So the thing is that because it's a data-driven, in I mean, particularly the, 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 the performance marketing space data-driven is, is kind of normal that uh, data will rule the decisions, right? And yeah, yeah and, and the thing as well is that just when you think it even more, make it more simple when you're hiring, right? You want the UA person to be sharp, data-driven, and also creative in the, in the, with sense of style. I mean, not, you have to be creative in any job that you do, right? But creative in the, in the is, is artistic way, right? You want all that from one person? <laughs> and then we need to run 10 networks. So we need per game 10 people that can fit that profile. That, that's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, and again, you don't need, I mean, I don't want to uh, diminish this, this job or anything like that, but it's not rocket science to understand what, what is a good ad and what is a bad ad and what KPIs tell you that. We have a tool basically that everything here is trying to, uh, we, we're trying to make everything very lean. So we try not to use a lot of dashboards and things like that. We, we try to concentrate everything in products that we can develop. And we did one tool, um, which it can sound very fancy, but it's not, um, that it, it, we, we get information about the ads on network basis and it's, uh, it's limited and the amount of information is limited to the creative guys. So then we do sessions where we explain that, I explain that to the creative marketing guys, I explain how the IPMs move, what an ad, when an ad gets traction, we look at the ads together uh, the one, the good ones, the bad ones. Why in this type of placement works well, this one, or in this other placement work this. And then at the end of the day, you're just moving the production, right? It's like we need more thirty seconds. We need new concepts. We need more iterations for these networks. Uh, UAC needs this type of length. Uh, Facebook is uh, is is hungry for another ad. We need to have concepts with something more punchy in the beginning. And at the end are, are all the artistic decisions, you know, data back this, this, this information, but it's at the end of the day, anybody can understand IPM, I guess. It's not a yeah. big concept, right? I think, I think this is the, so my experience, like, you know, literally I have run only a couple of campaigns myself, like I've been in, well, <laughs> everybody has to run a couple of campaigns on Facebook so they understand how things work, but yeah. I can like, but Improving IPM has constantly been uh, the goal in, in whatever game you're working on. And yeah. I've found the same type of results as you do with, a, with, a, with, with this, this iterative process, not iterative, well, iterative process, but also starting. And, and I think the key is what you said before, and that is focus groups, understanding your audience. Because once you understand the audience and you understand how user acquisition works, then you're able to do much better creatives and kind of be innovative in, in that area. And I've had great success with, with just working with an artist team after we understood our audience, after the product marketing or, or performance marketing told us, you know, the basics of how things work and we run a couple of campaigns, then we were creative around like what could be cool. And I've had actually negative results with exactly what you said, the iterative approach where 
the performance marketing manager or a campaign manager together with maybe a product marketing manager and yourself sitting together and listing through all the competitors' ads and pretty much trying the same thing as they did and going in like Sensor Tower, like, hey, this is the ad that is their hero ad. We can do the same thing. Look, they're looking, they're using a female hand in this game. So we need to do this. And, and the results are shitty compared to when you really understand your audience and you'll be like, hey, you know what would be cool? In our game, we could do this. But you know, it's, uh, it's the same. Well, you can draw a parallelism between what you said and, 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 and games in general. If it was that easy about take, if it was as easy as taking taking a reference and copy that reference, then how many Candy Crush we would have had? How many Clash of Clans? How many copies of Clash of Clans? There's something about being the first one, being the original one, that it doesn't matter how much do you know about data, you're not gonna replicate that. Yeah. So that is that is being original, you know, and that edge is substantial and it's long-term as well. You know, you can set up a strategy based on that as well. Yeah. Uh, and, but when you're talking about the focus group as well, I mean, the funny part was that the people that was working here, I didn't have a lot of experience in advertising. And honestly, why I wanted to start doing the, the, the focus group is very different when you say stuff when, when, when the team sits by himself, right? I, I guess that you have seen this many, many times. So what I wanted is the first, the funny, funny part about this focus group when we started is that <clears throat> we would replicate the, the user experience as much as we could, right? So we would ask, do you listen to the, do you, do you have this, the sound on or, 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 or do you play with uh, in, in mute? So we would give uh, headphones if they use it or, or not. And, and, oh, and we would not watch the ads in a TV. It would be in each one of the phones. And the funny part is that the first comments of everybody was when we were talking about uh, ads in the very beginning is like, what, what do you feel about mobile ads? It's like, well, to be honest, I mean, every time I see one of those ads, it's because I want coins. So what, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put the phone down for 30 seconds and then I'm going to pick it up again and keep playing. And for the guys to see how many people would say that, it was a, a bit of a shock, right? It's like you are doing something that you perceive it as super creative, but it's annoying sometimes for people. They don't want to see it. So then we went through seeing things like what message people got after the ad. What did they see? What did they not see? Uh, how many focus points you had in the ad, stuff like that. So we got much better at telling a little story. You know, even if it was gameplay, what you wanted to do, we we could nail down to make produce things that say one thing, had one direction, not one thousand directions. You know, or just a lot of things together. So I think we got a lot better in those basics, and then we understood on top of it the demographic. And I I, I don't think that a lot of companies do that. You no. know, they, they they go in and talk to the people. You know. And yeah. that's something that we intend to do a lot here. Uh, we should do it much more, but... A lot of the companies, what they do is they try to understand their audience by you, by looking at the demographics. You know, yeah. this, this like the Facebook type of thing, you know, how old the, the players are, where they're from. Yeah. But they don't really understand what are the motivations of the people. And they might do a little bit like, well, they're completionists. What the fuck does that even mean? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like, like it's, that's not a motivation. You know, 
So, so I think I think what you guys are doing, what you did, and are probably doing in your future games, is is very interesting and very different. And by doing something very different, you've been able to compete head to head with much, much, much bigger companies. Yeah. Um, with their so one thing that you also said, I wanted to to get back into, like you started off by talk by saying, I'm not sure if I got this right. You didn't embed marketing with the game teams, right? Like you didn't want them to be. Or did I catch catch it wrong? So the, the story goes like this: when when I joined, kind of uh, when I joined, we had uh, the production was very different, right? Because we were doing saga games, and they were like kind of a you didn't have a story. I mean, they, it was I don't want to say basic, but that's the only word that comes to mind. You know, it's, it was simpler, right? So classic. <laughs> yeah, classic. Um, so then we had a marketing team and we needed to get better and we started to do those focus groups even before Lily in order to understand all those things, etc. Right. Uh, and then we started to work on uh, bidding systems and, and um, you know, so we have something called super bidding that handles the automation of bids and things like that. So we we got into scaling up marketing, right? So we kind of got organically, we kind of close up to ourselves and started to build a lot of things, right? But once we did all that, and when Lily started actually, we started to discuss much more about the integration of things, right? So how do we have something that do not have teams, do not have departments, that marketing can work with the with the product, the product can work with production and and do not have you know clear cuts everywhere. It helps a lot that we are most most of us are in the same office. So what we are doing at the moment, but we're in the initial phases of this, is that um, we started to handle all the monetization features from the from the marketing team. Uh, because it was about not only recruiting people by scaling the game. So we started to handle the monetization features of all the games, including Lily's Garden from the marketing team. And then we started to naturally collaborate a lot with product. And then eventually we started to talk about integrating that even more. Um, so now we are working towards a, 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 a full integration between marketing and product uh, where um, for instance, we have special offers, we have shop optimizations and things like that that were part of marketing. And what we did is that I didn't think that it made a lot of sense to keep having the person in charge of that and the people in, in charge of that sitting around with the marketing people. They had to be with the product. They already had the knowledge from marketing. They spent time with us. They know what they have to do. Um, so they should be with the, with the game team. They should be close by, that guy needs to be close with the designer because when we're talking about a future, anything that we do in the monetization and will affect engagement as well. I mean, just compare levels, right? I mean, if you have a difficult level, more people will turn and you will monetize less. So if we want to monetize and if only monetization people is running, you will have very hard levels, but, but you don't need one or the other. You need them to coexist very well. So, so you have a very coherent product. So UA is still working by themselves because I personally don't see affecting the product that much. UA itself, you know, bidding, knowing publisher, dimensions of bids and things like that. I just don't 
maybe I'm completely wrong about it, but I don't see that synergy, where to explode that synergy, but performance marketing for sure needs to be with the game team and it should be part of the game team, but should be having a say in the monetization features along with the designers. And then for instance, the creative marketing team is, get, is getting, a, now we are working into having them more integrated with the story team, the one that developed the story of this garden. So they get the feedback from the marketing team. The marketing team tends to understand very well the demographic. So we need to use that and we need to make sure that we're working together so everything gets reflected in the product as well. So after we kind of close ourselves to develop all the marketing team, then now we're opening again and, and, and making sure that everybody's working with everybody. Uh, and I think that this is maybe very simplistic, but I get along very well, for instance, with the head of production. And in all the companies I have been, the marketing guy never gets along with the head of production. Why? And I think I eh, why? Yeah. I I don't know. You you tell me maybe. I, I think I think that's yeah. Go ahead. No, I mean I think that sometimes whatever the marketing team wants is put a lot of pressure in production, right? And sometimes even change the priorities. So I think is it maybe this comes from game love. I'm completely biased about it, but I never saw uh, production working with marketing that well because I thought that maybe the goals were very different. Oh, so by production you mean game team, right? Or game lead? Uh, production, I'm talking about production, uh, maybe not product, but even product, you know, product and marketing would never work that yeah. well together. Well, product and marketing, there I do have to agree. Like I'm coming more from the product side of things. And the thing is, when you're in product, you're constantly analyzing your numbers every day, all the numbers everywhere. And when something is not right, when there are big jumps, you're like, marketing fucked up. Who did you send to this game? Why are you destroying my KPIs? You guys are destroying this game. What kind of ads are you running? Then I have to go and look at the campaigns. Here's the campaign. Why are you targeting these people? Can you target these people that are clearly performing? <laughs> and then suddenly you don't even know where the, uh, the the marketing ends, the product starts because the product goes deep and telling the performance marketing what they need to be doing without fully understanding the picture of what they're doing and if they're trying different things. So that's the one that I've seen. Yeah, sure. I'm talking about product, maybe. Yeah, maybe you're right. The thing is that in game of the production guy was handling product as well. But yeah, true. Product, production and marketing do not talk that much each other but product and marketing for sure you have those those things and we yesterday we were having a a, a meeting um and we had a, a, a retention drop right and i was looking with the marketing team about all the we have a we pro, we try to provide data science with data science we try to provide autonomy to every team right so we develop dashboards that can anybody can look and, and we don't have to be answering questions all the time. So we have all these dashboards that tells you the type of problem you have and how do you start reading the data from organics, networks, placements within the networks. So the first part of the dashboard, you can differentiate if it is a problem on the product or if it is a problem in the marketing. And then anybody can, you know, just heads up everybody saying we have a problem. The thing is that we were, I was looking at this problem and it was not very clear because the data was kind of uh, uh, complicated to read because it was not consistent. So we actually, in the middle of our performance marketing weekly, we call 
the, 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 the main game designer of the game to the meeting. And it was such a natural thing. He just came in and we started to think about what things he added, what things we added. And the whole thing about pointing fingers, you know, that thing about it was marketing, it was product, you change that, you change that. Here at Tax and that thing honestly does not exist. Mm -hmm. And that's because the teams are working together. Yeah. So in general, it is true what you said. 90% of the cases we fucked up in marketing, as you say, because that's just the way it is. In general, it's one source of traffic, but then you can really quickly see it. But if organic is also dropping, then you have another type of problem. Yeah. But anyways, the thing is that we ended up seeing that it was a problem on the on the distribution end, not on the performance marketing, but on the distribution end. And the guy that actually had the idea and had the had the, the solution, it was the guy from, from the game team. I mean, he came and said, like, we changed this. Well, actually, you changed this in the in the in the um, in Google Play Store, and that's probably what is. And then I remember that we had a similar problem back then, and then we apply a few fixes, and and uh, now we see that it's by, it's coming back up. So I, I think there's a lot about that. I, I know it's tough, but for sure that can be done. So let me ask you this: so as an advice for everybody else, because it's clear that at a tactile, you guys work very closely together it's also not a giant company so you can actually have those face-to-face -face. and it's all in the same location in Copenhagen so you're all close nearby you can have that conversation probably not now but in normal world um, what would be your advice for for other companies to sort of create this this um, trust between the different functions because that in my experience Especially since the this, since the role of, of of UA has become more and more and more important, and have more and more effect on the on daily KPIs, on hourly KPIs, uh, that has sort of seeded this this uh, this rail between the, the game team, especially the product team, and the marketing team. So how do how, what's your what like what is how do you bring people together? Alcohol having everybody in the same place like like what's 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 your advice i mean i think it's a day-to-day -day stuff and it it, it it comes from leadership uh, you need to be an equal to everybody right uh, and I think that if you want everybody to be, if you want the, the, the teams not to fight against and not think that one is above the other and pointing fingers at them, then you as a leader needs to lead by example, you know, and just be one more guy, be one more opinion. Uh, of course, then you need to make decisions as well. And ultimately you are accountable for those decisions. So you will try to influence the people working with you. Uh, but I think everybody needs to trust each other, but it, it, it starts with leadership for sure. I mean, you need to create teams that are autonomous as well. Um, the, the way, the way I've, I've seen this somehow work is, this may be too capitalist of me, but I would say that tie the bonus pool of the campaign and marketing team to the game performance. And suddenly everybody's very interested in growing the game even more than, 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 than before. So I don't know if that's, I, I think that most of the problems, all, all, most of those problems come from, from misunderstandings to be honest. Yeah. Uh, because many times it's like you have two people arguing and they are, they are 
talking about the same thing, they have the, the, it's just from another perspective. So bonding, you know, we do a lot of things about uh, bonding in the team. I mean, for instance, creating marketing, have one daily every day in the mornings. Uh, that is a sit down, it's not a stand up and they spend uh, whatever time they need to brainstorm. So they brainstorm every single day and they start talking about whatever. Uh, we also do a lot of things together as well, right? Uh, but again, I think that is, is a, a lot about making sure that you're just one more in the team uh, and everybody sees that, you know, I mean, in a meeting, everybody can tell me that I said something stupid and that it comes a lot from the CEO of the company, right? Mm -hmm. uh, I would say things to him in front of people that I, I mean, I'm going to get fired in a minute if I carry on like this, but he just take it in the chin. As much as I take it in the chin, when someone, it doesn't matter how junior it is, says you are wrong. What you say is just stupid. I mean, I don't take it personal. Nobody should take it personally. When you get to that, if you evolve your relationship to that point, then we're just working together. You know, there is no ego here. You have to detach yourself from your own ideas and, and you know, just work as equal, as flat as possible. You know, that helps a lot. The fact of being lean and being flat and trying not to put hierarchies. Uh, no, so definitely would not work in any American companies, but very, very Nordic approach. <laughs> yeah. But, mean, that's, but that's our competitive advantage then. <laughs> yeah. And I, yeah. Honestly, that's something that I'm Argentinian. I'm from the very South. Yeah. But, but I, I very intrigued actually to see if this can be implemented in places like Spain. I do have hopes. I, I do believe in 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 the human being that is 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 able to change uh, if you set up the right environment, right? I mean, I remember working in Spain from nine to seven, and then thinking like, why the heck I'm I'm working ten hours if I haven't accomplished this much? Um, but I think that it needs to start from that point, right? From leadership, from the from understanding what is efficient, what is lean. Uh, how do you remove hierarchies? How do you follow the best decision instead of someone else wish? Um, it is all very, very abstract and hard to accomplish, but I think everything starts with, with trust. Yeah. You have to trust your team. You have to make the team run the show and you need to help and coach and mentor, but they have to sign up for the decisions. They have to be, you cannot do things that they don't want to do because anybody to do anything they need to be capable of doing it and they need to want to do it if you have if any of these two things are missing then it's going to be a the, the quality of whatever product you're doing is going to be bad mm. so i think it's, it's a it's, it's a tough thing to accomplish but it's a very rewarding once and it gives a lot of autonomy and it's much easier to scale the company yeah yeah so uh, as they call it, decentralized command. That's, yeah. that's basically it. So before I let you go, I know we have only five minutes left. I wanted to ask the final question, which is what should CMOs or any other heads of performance marketing who in the world of games tend to be very, 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 very data-driven, mm -hmm. uh, what should they learn from advertising industry? And like your background is in ads and what did you learn from that side that you still employ and what are the certain things that you ditched? Well, I mean, I, I would say, well, I mean, what we have been discussing is about originality, I guess. 
find the find the point that will make your product different. If you're just copying, you're just one more and advertising over the course of 50 years or even more than that, have always worked in favor of who is actually being more original. This is just is a different type of advertising, but you need to be original. You need to find your edge and copying the rest. I mean, of, sure, you're gonna have a sustainable product and that's a very valid strategy. Very valid strategy. You and sometimes you don't even have the elements to work with because if I didn't have Lydia's garden, maybe this wouldn't be possible, right? So for sure you need to be pragmatic at the job, but you need to find that factor that will uh, separate you from the rest. That's it. Uh, concentrate on that um, with with whatever resources you have. I would I would say that would be the if I have to give one single, but for sure. Focus groups, know your audience. Yeah. Put them in a group. Try to understand how to, to how to run market research activities. Uh, my wife, if she had ten years of experience in market research, that helped me a bit uh, when I did this because actually I did this for the first time in Omni Drone, and it was basically for product that we did it, and it worked really well uh, when we did it for the first time uh, over there. So for sure, I mean. What you said is very valid, you know? I mean, stop looking at data that much and talk to the people, talk to the audience, bring them in the off, in where you are, well, or, or a call conference, I guess, in Corona days, but make sure that you are following up with questions. For You have these companies where you can send the game to be played. Yeah, right? just testers, right? I don't wanna go against these companies, but those testers are just biased because they are testing games every single day. And the main problem about those systems, those 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 uh, solutions, is that you cannot make follow-up questions. So sometimes you think you understood something, but you're filling a lot of gaps. What you should do is to ask that person to make sure that you understand what's going on, what is that is happening uh, in his head or her head. So for sure, I mean, if you're gonna have a new product, bringing the audience to play it, bringing the audience to see the ads to learn more about it is definitely the first thing you should do. So. I love it. The two key advices is understand your audience and be original. That, that makes that makes total sense. That could yeah, be a t-shirt. Kind of basic, right? <laughs> it's kind of basic. For that. Yeah, but, but a lot of people are not using it. And and yeah. what you guys have, what Tactile has been showing, and I've actually, I believe I met with your founder. And um, I think one thing that he, who we were talking about working culture and, I think he was talking about your studio that everybody has this sort of like a red light and you can turn it on and that means the person is focused at, at his or her work so you can't go and, and kind of like you know bug them i'm not doing that anymore <laughs> you're not doing that anymore i thought that was such a clever thing because i hate when people interrupt me when i'm when it I'm, didn't got traction you know it did not got traction i yeah and yeah. Well, yeah. well, that was, at least it was original and he really understood the, the developers that they need to yeah. be focused when working. But that's the thing about him, you know, is, is, is when I joined as a CMO in the very beginning, I remember we were in a flight talking and I was telling him what I was going to do and everything. And the guy went, went ahead and told me something like, you know what, I mean, I like you. That's why I hire you. I trust you do what you need. And he went on doing products. I went on doing marketing and things turned out pretty well. So that trust 
starts from him as well you know yeah. that 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 thing about you know when you do investments in ua you're all the time talking about the ltv the lifetime value so you're putting a lot of money that you're not seeing the next day you have to trust being a founder you need to put a lot of faith in those algorithms um and i, I and the, he he has been very uh uh, even though that maybe he didn't see it or, or question a lot of things that I was telling him, this is going to be fine, even though we are doing all this investment, he ultimately uh, trusts in the people he has uh, uh, selected to work with. And that is a beginning of a, of a company with this culture of trust. If it doesn't start from that point, then there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. I, I understand. It's uh, and it's also motivating to work in a company where you're trusted, where you're not being micromanaged, no. and everybody's looking at your mistakes. But on the contrary, everybody is looking for you to succeed the way you want to, you know, and, and believe you as a professional. So, yeah. Gonzalo, I'm not going to hold you any longer. This was been this was phenomenal discussion. I'm 100% sure that people really uh, found this extremely useful. So, to end it off. Um, how can people connect with you? Is Tactile hiring? What's the next step? <laughs> Tactile is hiring uh, in many different areas. Uh, but in the UA team, creative guys also, 3D animators, we're hiring as well. Uh, we're hiring level designers. We are hiring a lot of positions. So if you... And by the way, that, you're in Helsinki right now, and that is as dark as... Uh, we've been here for one hour, and that is... That is right now as dark as it is, or that's just a black painting you have on your mind. This is a sound, a soundboard, a black uh, soundboard and a black. I, I thought all the time that it was the night. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, this black soundboard behind me is literally what Helsinki looks like, all black. <laughs> so, but listen, let, let's be honest. Nobody moves to Copenhagen or Helsinki for the weather. You move in oh, for, for the safety, for the cleanliness, for but the guys. Yeah, Copenhagen weather is much better than Helsinki weather. <laughs> much better. Arguably, arguably, but the game <laughs> companies still are better in Helsinki. So <laughs> well, we'll, we'll see about that. But listen, yes. So uh, you can you can uh, um, for sure uh, if you are interested, um, if you have talent, if you are UA creative level designer, we are hiring in many different positions. And relocating to Copenhagen, I guess, is, is, is not as easy as maybe Helsinki as well has this, these challenges. So, uh, yeah, um, just go to the website, put Tactile Games in, the, in Google, and you will find it. Uh, and you can, you can get in touch with us. So, yeah. And find Gonzalo on LinkedIn. I'm sure everybody can search and, and connect. So thank you again. This was a pleasure. Learned a lot. And I'm, I'm sure again. that our listeners learned a lot. Thank you so much, Gonzalo. Cheers. And thanks everybody for listening.